Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, I'm Alexi Lalas from the U.S. soccer team. Be sure to fill up with high-quality BP Super 93 and pick up the BP Super soccer ball for just $5.99. It's available only at BP stations with an 8-gallon purchase. It's 1998, and Alexi Lalas, he's the face of Major League Soccer. He lives in Boston now, and he's waiting for a call. The next World Cup roster is about to be announced, and he desperately wanted a spot on that squad. So when the call finally came, he anxiously took his cordless phone out onto the porch and spoke to US head coach, Steve Sampson. And I'll never forget getting the call from him and talking to him and him saying, I need to know if I'm going to bring you to France that you're not going to be a problem, uh, even if you're not playing. And I know I told him, believe me, you're not going to have a problem with me and I'll, I'll be fine. And... That was probably not the truth. Why did you say that then? Because I wanted to go to the World Cup. That badly? That badly. A bad World Cup is better than no World Cup. You bet your ass. This week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, the fewer on college campuses over the war in Gaza. Students have tried to have dialogue over and negotiate differences in how they see the world, even as they respond to tragedies and crimes overseas. Students and faculty from Harvard University on the New Yorker Radio Hour from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is American Fiasco, a show about a bad World Cup. A very, very bad World Cup. And I'm Roger Bennett. To be sure, the 1998 World Cup, it wasn't starting out badly for everyone. World Cup favourites Brazil did what they do. They opened with a 2-1 victory against Scotland. Home team heroes France also won its first game against South Africa. And Nigerians the world over were celebrating a come-from-behind victory for the ages against the heavily favoured Spaniards. Oh, but to be an American soccer fan, after that first-round defeat against the powerhouse Germans, those Germans with their big thighs and their mighty foreheads. Remember, the US had hoped to at least tie Germany. And the loss, it meant everything now depended on game two. Political rivals Iran and the United States will meet on the field of play today at the World Cup soccer tournament. Both teams suffered a loss Iran, in the three games. For 20 years since the Islamic Revolution, Iran had been America's sworn enemy. Good evening. The U.S. Embassy in Tehran has been invaded and occupied by Iranian students. The Americans inside have been taken prisoner. You couldn't pick a more politically charged opponent if you tried. I was actually driving to the Jersey Shore on the day of the game. My car had broken down and had to watch it in a repair shop somewhere off the Garden State Parkway, along with a gaggle of mechanics who closed their garage to watch the game. I want to be clear, these were not soccer fans by any stretch. This is Jed's country, 
one kept telling me. But they couldn't have been more excited to watch their country take on Iran. We hate that place, one told me as we opened the first of a number of six packs of bud. I want to see a beatdown. At that point in our culture, probably the most hated country in Americans' eyes was was Iran, the Iran um, hostage crisis. Rob Stone, who was reporting on the World Cup for ESPN. We needed to whoop ass, right? And, and, and who to whoop ass more than the evil empire of Iran? It was perfect. I was on the bullet train from Marseille to uh, Paris. Hank Steinbrecher, General Secretary of the U.S. Soccer Federation. And I get a call. It's uh, the White House calling. And it was someone, I think, on Leon Panetta's staff that said, we're going to win this game, aren't we? The news is going around the world. And uh, I said, well, call me after the game. I'll be able to tell you. Now, let's be clear. Many of the American players were just kids during the 1979 hostage crisis in Tehran. And pro soccer players, by and large, they're not great students of history. So while Iranian players like Khodadad Azizi were telling reporters that this team would win for the sake of the families of the martyrs of the Iran-Iraq war, the American players were only just beginning to tune in. Players like forward Eric Winalda, who just turned 29 this month, and was asked about the hostage crisis this weekend. What year was it in? 1981. The American team, they might have been geopolitically clueless, but for once in a World Cup game, they were not the underdog. In fact, they were the favourites. These Iranians, like the Americans, had lost their opening game. In fact, they'd never won a World Cup match, and 19 of their 22 players, they were still based in Iran a remote footballing backwater where they'd grown up kicking soccer balls on the post-revolution streets with little in the way of formal coaching. And welcome to Lyon. It's a soccer match both the U.S. and Iran desperately need to stay alive in this World Cup. Today, the US June 21st, 1998. Arguably the most momentous day, or at the very least the strangest, in U.S. soccer history. If only because the Ayatollah was involved. And if that wasn't enough pressure... Underneath all of this political theatre, there was another drama brewing. Well, Bob, thank you very much. And certainly it should be fascinating today. I'm in our World Cup studio along with former United States star Ty Keogh. Ty, five lineup changes. That smacks of desperation to me. Well, Steve Sampson has talked about needing to win this game. And for that, he needs an attacking lineup. And he's brought in five players. And that's unheard of. You're changing half of your team. But he's bringing on the kind of players that can make goals happen, and especially with Brian McBride up top, a very tall and active target player. And Did you know you were starting, Brian? I believe so, yeah. It was a strange lineup. It was. It's different. Different than the first. And I think that, again, exacerbated the issues. But there was nothing that wasn't strange about this trip. So it was almost like, okay, you got to roll with it, you know? And there's a reason why Samson thought we should be in this formation, in this lineup. The good thing for me is I was playing my normal position. But several others weren't. Steve was keeping experienced veterans like Lalas, Jeff Agus, Marcelo Balboa. They were on the bench. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you why he didn't turn to us didn't really talk to us, 
didn't really say anything. Didn't communicate with us. He would get his starting 11, and the starting 11 would play and practice, and we would be on the other side, and that was the end of that. For so many black people, The Wiz feels like home. The new stage revival has Broadway buzzing, and as it gears up for a national tour, we'll consider the impact this story continues to have 50 years down the yellow brick road. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on the next Notes from America as we pay tribute to The Wiz. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Presents World Cup 98. This is the match the world has waited months to see the most politically charged match of this World Cup. And here at the Stade Gerland in Lyon, it's just another soccer game. Were you briefed on how to handle the pregame handshakes? We had a picture, right? We had. Yeah, they did a flower exchange. That's right. You don't yeah. remember any I, of this, do you? Yeah. Allow me to just interrupt myself for a moment. Neither Iran nor the US could agree as to who would initiate a formal pre-match handshake for fear of seeming politically weak, or the optics, in front of a global audience. So an emergency meeting was held in the run-up to the game and an alternative solution was jerry-rigged. Why don't we show the world's children that countries that are politically adversaries through sportsmanship can be friends? Hank Steinbrecher of US Soccer was part of the pre-game negotiations. So why don't we have the players exchange a gift on the field, walk up to each other, shake each other's hands, then go arm in arm, Iranian, American, Iranian, American, Iranian, American for the team photographs. Wouldn't that be a better idea? Whose idea was this? Our idea. The handshake's a new feature this year of the World Cup, and it is also fair play day as declared by FIFA. So not only will they take separate team photographs, but there will be an integrated team photograph. And I can't believe... I think we all gave each other roses. It was like, it was kind of like a little weird, surreal thing. And I remember I was in the middle of the picture. I'm like, what is going on here, dude? This is crazy. A lot of the players are like, before a game, you don't want to stand with your opponent and flowers. One of them said, you want to be like a caged animal. Yeah. Do you regret that? Yeah. I might have said, go to hell. We're going to come out and we're going to kick your ass and pay you back for taking our hostages. You, you can just go to hell. The referee, appropriately, is from Switzerland. Urs Meyer, and we're underway. Frankie Hayda goes down, does not get that ball. Number 21, Merdhard Mitterrand. At long last, the game had begun. At this point, Steve Sampson had fully abandoned this 3-6-1 formation, the one that had included just one forward. For Iran, he'd organised a youthful starting lineup in a 3-5-2. That's a system that plays two forwards. But Steve, he went even further. He decided to play another forward in a key defensive midfield role. Sure, Americans would have difficulty preventing Iranian counterattacks, but the whole point of Steve's new strategy, it was to attack first and then keep attacking. Three minutes in, Forward Brian McBride, 26 years old, in his first World Cup ever, and... Looking for Dooley Header, off the crossbar! McBride with that attempt. Off 
the crossbar. He told you he's good in the air, and he nearly put one home. Well, I think a lot of people feel McBride is one of the best headers in this tournament. He's young, he's raw, but he's very hungry for this game. How do you generate that power? Describe that. What goes through your mind? <laughs> uh, you're going to laugh. Um, so I used to headbang. I used to listen to heavy metal. I think my neck kept getting stronger <laughs> and stronger from headbanging. I don't mean to be a dick. No, you're not. A dick. Which heavy metal bands did you love? <laughs> so Metallica was was definitely my favorite. Um, you know, we used to listen to ACDC, Judas Priest. So we have Judas Priest, I think, in a way. Metallica more than Judas Priest. <laughs> Whichever heavy metal god it was, I've got to spend just another minute on this miraculous header because it was no ordinary athletic feat. It set a tone that the incredibly dominant Americans, they meant business. I felt like when I got the ball, I could just go at people, uh, and, and it, it was just happening. It was this, you know, we're, we're playing the exact way we want to play. What were the Iranians saying, if anything? Do you remember? Raj, I, I don't speak Iranian. Farsi. Your Farsi's <laughs> not too good. Yeah. Will he shoot? Yes, he will. Off the post. Two posts so far for the U.S. One in the second minute, one in the 33rd. Well, they've come to play, haven't they? Here's a great shot from Reyna, and just bad luck for the U.S. Across for 41 the minutes, the U.S. team absolutely dominated Iran. Back at my New Jersey garage, a third six-pack of beer was flowing, as was American confidence. But remember, Steve, he'd set the team up without a true defensive midfielder, the one player used to prevent counterattacks. But why by Azizi? Zorincha. That cross, header, goal! I want to ask you a couple of quick ones on this. I'm talking to Casey Keller, the keeper who conceded that goal in the 41st minute. You were so dominant in that first half. I mean, bloody hell, you you battered them, destroyed them. McBride was just having, having oh, his way with killing them. I mean, Hayduk just running at them, tormenting them. But if you look at the game film, there's a hole in front of you that becomes fairly evident. Did you did you sense any danger? Did you try and organize well, I your feel, I sensed danger when we set up the lineup, simply because we put so many attacking players on the field. And we left kind of what we are good at, and that's battling um, and, and fighting. And, and what was amazing was for so much of that game, it worked simply because we dominated possession, we dominated the chances, but sports is about balance. And we left ourselves top-heavy, and we paid the price for it. Does that feel, to, to a normal man, does it feel like a bee sting or does it feel like a gut punch in the kidney? Yeah, it was a, it was a, a full volley to the nether region for sure. We are in our last minute now of stoppage time. Half time. That's Daly Center. Half time, that locker room. Yeah, um, we were down one nothing. Steve Sampson. I believe, right? One nothing at halftime. And uh, I really believe that because of the way we were playing and creating all the goal-scoring chances, that we believed that we could come back and get a result. Um, 
I never felt at halftime that the players didn't believe in themselves. I didn't believe at halftime that they were questioning anything. They didn't express that to me. No uh, blueback from any of the players? None. Zero. Not you, one. Not they, one. Not one player came up to me and said, you know, why isn't this player playing or why aren't we playing this way? And the reason is, is because we were completely dominating Iran. But that's the thing about soccer. You can be so dominant, so strong, outpass, outpossess, outshoot your opponent. But then one single mistake, a careless oversight, and the tides, they just turn. And the only stat that matters in the end is the score. Jim Frostlid says the mood in that locker room was eerily subdued. You're 1-0 down, you're dominating, you know, this is a, a moment where you know you can come back, right? But at this time, when you need someone to step forward at halftime and nobody steps up and says anything, that was, that was a bad sign. I don't remember anybody getting fired up and... Brian McBride. Screaming at each other or yelling, uh, you know, something positive. No. Listeners, perhaps you're as nonplussed as I am at this point. We've got a coach remembering that moment as A-OK. But I can tell you this. If you go into a locker room at halftime and your team's down 1-0 and the guys are just sitting there checking their shoelaces, something's wrong. Very wrong. We've got to do the same kind of aggressive style that we saw early on because the game has now changed. It's now changed for A-Rod. As a player, 1-0 down, clock ticking. First of all, does time go fast or slow? At this time, it's going, it's going way too fast. Your internal monologue, is it speeding up? Yeah, well, it's it's becoming, it's not necessarily speeding up, it's becoming more and more important and more and more essential that we get a goal. Iran working on what would be a major upset given the relative strengths of these two teams. Ricky Hayden. Second half, you keep charging forward. Do you have any kind of an internal monologue, Frankie? I remember, like, I was in the game specifically going, dude, we got plenty of time. Even when we were down 1-0, I was like, I really thought that we, would, we could come back at any moment, even though we were, we were down. I, I still thought that we were better than them and, and that we could come back. Throwing for the U.S. Again looking for McBride for Reina in front. Save! Amazade! The U.S. attacks relentlessly and recklessly. Across the goal mouth, Reggie can't get to it. And still in for the Iranians. The best chance yet for the U.S. in this second half. By this time, it feels like a national mission to summon a tying goal. But the American side of the field, it's left completely vulnerable. And in the 84th minute, Iran's Mehdi Madavikia launches a one-man counter-attack strolling into the American half. Here's a break and it's onside. It all comes down to goalkeeper Casey Keller. Matavikia makes it 2-0 Iran. And even he can't believe what's happening. Reeled away, charged the breadth of the field in glorious, ebullient celebration. Just arms swinging, eyes open. Keller got his fingers on the ball but could do nothing to prevent it going in. How do you feel in that second? You know that, that despair that we talked about for a split second? It becomes a lot deeper and a lot more real. 
you know you you have time, but that understanding of getting one goal back to tie it is now changed to two. And all that difficulty we had getting even one goal mounts up to even more of a, a, a pressure that that comes up upon you. So it does feel almost, your back's not broken, but it does feel... Yeah, of course. And because you're American, you still... Of course. You still have to go. You still got time. As long as there's a second on the clock, you don't give up. Two nothing. The corner kick. Header. Is that in? Yes. Yes, it's a goal. It is a goal. Yes. yes. You grab a late goal, 88th minute. Mm -hmm. When I show you that goal, what emotions do you experience? I think about the next corner where I should have made the exact same run. Ball goes the exact same spot. I know you don't have it on that on tape, but it went to the exact same spot. Made the wrong run. Thought he'd be defending that way. He was, he was, I don't know, I'm not going to say he was scared, but he didn't know where I was. I could have made the exact same run in a, I would have had the exact same opportunity. Whether we'd gone in, I don't know. But so, yeah. And you, not to be too hyperbolic, but but history could have been a little bit different. Is that what you're feeling? Yeah, of course. There's there's a little part of me that I, I let him down. Yeah. You know, I was able to score a goal in a World Cup because I already know that's there's not many Americans that have already done that, right? So I, I feel a, a great amount of satisfaction. But it doesn't mean anything. No one's going to remember it. No one's going to... Sadly, people remember it because it was the only goal we scored. His goal lifted Iran to the lead. And there is the final whistle. More than just three points for the Islamic Republic of Iran. 90 minutes of faith in action tonight for these men. Well, you see soccer games like this, but never quite this kind of atmosphere, Bob, because of all that was... Do you feel anger? Um, oh, I, I'm angry with myself. Of course. You, you can't sign... That's, I just told you what I think about what I could have done. How and can that's, you have an amazing game? How that, because, you know, the, the one other opportunity that could have been there. So, yeah, anger with myself, but... And reflecting that, and also understanding that, you know, I can possibly be good enough to do stuff like this. As much as the, I've never experienced a situation in a team like it before or after, and I've never experienced a situation where there's so much negativity, I still had a great experience. What this result will do around the world where American soccer has fought for respect, it frankly will take steps backward. Well, of course, the score is all that matters in the We have dreams, and the dream is to play in a World Cup and, and to represent your country. When that's taken away from you, it's taken your soul out of you. And that's what he did. He took my soul in 98. That's the voice of Marcelo Balboa, a man who just spent 90 long minutes witnessing his team go down against Iran. 
All of you thought you should have been on that field. Yeah. Steve Sampson's in between you and the field. You have to watch his buttocks the whole game. What does that feel like? Um, it sucks. It feels like someone rips your heart out because you worked so hard to get to that point, and now you're sitting on the bench watching the game. I think that there was a sense of vindication, I guess. That's Alexi Lellis again. The stuff that, that I had talked about and that I had feared and that I had warned others of was, was finally coming to fruition. But that's such a pissy and, and, and small thing to take any pride in looking back on it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure I did. After the game, many of the players blasted Steve publicly in the press, and Alexi led the way. He told the Washington Post, it's rather naive to think that a team that has gone through so much together can basically be rearranged and be expected to play with any consistency and cohesiveness. He added, I gave up trying to figure Samson out a long time ago. What I do vividly remember is, is some guys just unloading in a way that you never hear. You never hear guys talk about their own teams the way these guys were talking about it. Jeremy Schapp of ESPN. You know, I remember it as just like the darkest place I've ever seen in sports. And that's how I remember it too. Dark. Again, I was watching the game with a bunch of mechanics at a repair shop somewhere in New Jersey. Together, we'd seen America's finest soccer players go down just punching themselves out, humiliating themselves against Iran with the whole world watching. And it wasn't just excruciating from a sporting perspective, but from a human one too. I'll tell you one of the most disappointing moments. Steve Sampson. After the game was over, and Rob Stone uh, was working for ESPN at the time, right before I walk into the locker room, he asks me, "Do do you plan to resign? Steve, and I said, I said, that's not my decision. That's the decision of the Federation. And I expect to finish my job. But that was a, uh, I think, a, a blow that I wasn't expecting. You know, I, I broke down emotionally and I, I literally cried, you know, away from the team. But, uh, but I knew in that moment that, that, that we were done. That loss to Iran eliminated them from the World Cup. But four days later, they had to go through the motions of playing their final group game against Yugoslavia as a formality. And they lost 1-0. Even though the game meant nothing, Steve Sampson yet again sat almost all of his veterans. But during halftime, Alexi Lalas and Marcelo Balboa left the bench and walked out onto the field to pose for a photograph. Posing for the picture was maybe in some weird sense trying to document that once again this happened and in my mind or our mind it didn't have to happen. So you you told the press, you said to to the press, I wanted at least one picture of myself on the field. That's that's a yeah smart ass type of thing to say. What did you want to remember? Uh that is as painful as it might have been, and as much as we had fucked this up, you know, I was still at the World Cup. 
What would you wish you'd done differently, Alexi? I wish that I had had more um, sympathy. I can't have empathy because I've never been in that position, but sympathy certainly for the situation that um, that Steve was in. I want to continue my international career, but uh, um, you know I want to have the right setting, so uh, you know I'll, I'll never play again. Lalas, Alexei, thank you for being with us today. Your reaction to this breaking story out of France that you are going to be fined for your comments. Oh well, um, okay. If, if that's what uh, the federation feels that they uh, that they have to do. I mean, soccer is fragile in the United States, and you don't know what's going to crack it, let alone, you know, shatter it. And so, yeah, there was there there was worries. I mean, we were looking at each other like, "Oh my like, God, we've killed what it! We do? We've killed the sport. It's going to be on our our gravestone." You know, here lies Alexi Lalas. He killed soccer. <laughs> <laughs> because he couldn't deal with not starting in the 1998 World Cup. What a dick. American Fiasco is a production of WNYC Studios. Our team includes Joel Meyer, Emily Botine, Paula Schumann, Derek John, Starley Kine, Keegan Zemma, Ernie Intradat. Eliza Lambert, Jameson York, Daniel Guimet, Matt Boynton, Jonathan Williamson, Brad Feldman, B. Aldrich, Jeremy Bloom, Isaac Jones, and Sarah Sandbach. Joe Plourd is our technical director. Hannes Brown composed our original music. Our theme music is by Big Red Machine, the collaboration between Aaron Desner of The National and Justin Vernon of Bon Iver. Audio in this episode, courtesy of... ABC Sports, and NPR's Weekend Edition. For more about this story, including a timeline and more, go to fiascopodcast.com. Oh, it's Rog. And before you go, I want to ask you a favour. I know, I know, you're doing me favours all of the time. I know how that feels, but this one, it's quite important. If you have loved the American fiasco story, please tell your friends. Because in this crazy world known as podcast, it's really the only way to make a, a podcast get heard. Get out there, into the world. Please tell your friend who loves soccer or who's just getting into football because of the World Cup and is about to fall head over heels in love with the sport. Or that friend of yours who just lives for disaster stories could all be the same person to be candid but tell them tell them about american fiasco and i roger bennett will forever be in your debt again courage <laughs>